the plastic we have today has far more chemical signatures and things that disrupt our bodies in ways that we don't fully understand. Most of these plastics are incomplete polymers, and most of the polymers and chemicals within it can sometimes create other byproducts, none of which have actually been tested. Our fertility levels as um, a species have declined by 50% in the past 50 years. And by the way, top line, there is no type of plastic that is safe. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. I am Tristan Liss, once again. He has left me with the reins, for better or for worse. We are here with Beatrice, known online to some as the Plastic Lady. I actually <laughs> Anti-plastic found you, you, Lady. Anti-Plastic Lady, sorry. I actually found you on TikTok, which is probably for better or for worse. And I've sort of been dopamine hitting your videos over the last couple months. But I find that you do a really good job of making complex topics very consumable for the audience in a way that I think a normal person can understand the ramifications of daily choices. And I think you offer a lot of solutions, which we'll get into a little bit today. But I'd love for you to sort of introduce yourself to our audience because they're not as familiar. A little bit of your background. I know you mentioned investigative journalism a lot, which I, I love. My mom actually has a background in that as well. And she... I think instilled into me being innately curious and skeptical of things. So awesome. I'd love for you to give a little bit of your story and why you got into all the things you do now. Right. All right, cool. Well, thank you. And and I'm so excited to be on here, uh, Ryan. And, and thank you so much for this. So yeah, my name is Beatrice. I actually own a company called Tabor Place and I make um, basically non-toxic, but I hate that term, but basically um, plastic... Uh, uh, sippy cups and things for children that aren't going to expose them to plastics and all the toxic chemicals that come along with it. And so, yeah, I mean, originally I started out um, with a background in investigative journalism. However, when, um, and I was at San Francisco State University studying, studying that. And I actually went to, um, <clears throat> scholarship kid, got into a, <clears throat> got into a, um, you know, um, a private school for high school that actually, um, and I focused on writing. And research, right? So literally, I, you know, and again, I was a scholarship kid. I was with a lot of other rich kids that got into the school. Um, but I was able to go and study writing from a very, very young age. And when I went to college for it, I really, I, I mean, I was obsessed with the New York Times and NPR. And I, I mean, I still kind of am. Um, ProPublica, certainly. Oh, shoot. I should turn that off. Um, ProPublica, certainly. But Ultimately, what was happening at that time was a huge disruption with online media, right? Um, all these newspapers were going online. And as a result, I think it was 10% of local newspapers closed the year that I entered school uh, for journalism at San Francisco State. Um, I got pretty freaked out being, you know, a kid that wasn't coming from a rich background. I was like, oh, I I'm going to need to be able to feed myself, right? <laughs> like I was already paying my own bills at that point. So I did a quick jump um, into another major because I was like, I'm going to need to do something where I'm going to be able to be employed. And I actually went into something completely random, which is um, the cooking school, 
right? Um, and ultimately, I learned business and I learned a lot of food science, um, you know, and we forget that a lot of cooking is science. Um, I'd always been interested in the topic of plastic and endocrine disruptors. And it became, it was something that was like vaguely, I was vaguely aware of, right? And I was certainly aware of the lack of regulation that exists around our consumer products within our, with our government, right? I was already aware of that. Um, you know, in the, and, and in the late nineties, early two thousands, there was a lot of coverage on the topic of bisphenol, specifically BPA, um, and, uh, the wing spread conference, um, which was a huge conference of scientists that came together from all over the world. And they actually coined the term endocrine disruptors. So I was already vaguely aware of that merely because of all of the conversation around that. Um, and I also was just really interested in the topic of big tobacco and all the different um, tactics and strategies that they use in order to manufacture doubt, um, you know, and, and all that Noam Chomsky stuff, right? Um, manufacturing consent. I just watched his masterclass the other day. Um, again. So I was already interested in that. And then through my twenties, I was living in New York and I started having all these weird symptoms. Like I was just starting to feel really like, I don't know. And I knew that these symptoms were, at first I thought it was in my head, right? Um, I was cold all the time. I was like kind of narcoleptic in a weird way, like just tired. If I had a sip of wine, I would literally fall asleep like at the table with my friends. So being someone who's like in their mid twenties, like can't drink, like that's not bad. It was great, but um, it was also really weird. I went to, num- you know, a few different doctors for my annual checkups and stuff, mentioned it nothing, you know, oh, you're totally fine. I'm like, okay, this feels weird. Um, and I finally ended up going to a doctor and I described my symptoms. And this was after maybe like five different checkups and doctors. Then she's like, huh, it sounds like you have hypothyroidism. We should get that checked. I'm like, okay. Um, turns out, yeah, I had hypothyroidism, which is, which again is thyroid thyroid or hormone disruption within your body. Your body doesn't create enough of um, this hormone to basically balance and regulate your body on its own. Now, this is something that, you know, up to up to 15 to 20% of women will eventually get it, but it usually doesn't happen until someone's in their 50s. And here I was like in my late 20s um, getting it. I hadn't had children. I wasn't going through menopause. <clears throat> so there's no reason that I should have this. Um, and as I started looking into it and actually talking to my doctor about it, it became clear that I, I was an anomaly, but I was also, um, it may be connected to other things, right? Um, things that were out of my control maybe happened when I was younger or maybe happened when it was ex- my mother was pregnant with me. So ultimately, um, that got me definitely far more interested in the topic of endocrine disruptors. Um, which is essentially what had happened to me. And then when I had my own children, I was like, you know what? I want to make sure that this doesn't happen to them because I can now control this, right? One of the easiest things, and, and I'll, I'll backtrack just a sec. Your endocrine system is a system in your body that controls your hormones. And what you don't realize is that it controls like most of the major functions of your body, right? So it controls your sleep, your mood, your metabolism, um, your literally your energy levels, which is what I was experiencing, um, your cognition. It is very closely related to your ability to learn and understand things, you know, your cognitive function, um, how, you know, how quickly you age and, and all those things are interrelated to one another and your hormones are really sensitive. So if they get thrown off, 
um, all, all, those, all those other systems get impacted, right? So, um, wait, where was I going with that? <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Um, I think you were, I think making, you were making the connection, the connection from, from yes. understanding, understanding the endocrine system to, system to your symptoms. symptoms. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure that my kids didn't experience that. And one of the easiest things um, that one can do, or <clears throat> rather, shall I say, one of the biggest impacts that um, one of the things that impacts your endocrine system the most are literally hormone disrupting chemicals, which are in plastic, right? So literally just by avoiding plastic, um, your body will be able to regulate itself instead of being consistently disrupted all the time. Now, the plastic we have today is extremely complex as opposed to the plastic when it was first invented almost 100 years ago, right? And we now have, there are thousands of chemical signatures within plastic and many of them are still unknown. And because, and I say that, um, and that sounds crazy, but it's because a lot of the polymers and the chemicals within plastic create byproducts or will break down into monomers in different ways. And it, we have the system of government, and not just here, but globally as well, which is this innocent until proven guilty system, right? We approve one thing, right? So plastic in its original form, um, you know, 50 years ago was not, it didn't have this many chemical signatures, nor did we really understand how it could impact our bodies, right? So when they're testing something in a laboratory, it's usually acute testing on lab rats. They, you know, the original, um, the original FDA tests for bisphenol A, for example, it was done on old, old mice, um, you know, whereas uh, old mice, and it was done at high dosages, right? We now have a very different understanding of how hormones impact your body. So hormones impact your body in very small amounts, right? Um, and, and it has what's called a non-monotonic effect, meaning it is not a regular dose response relationship. You don't get the big amounts don't necessarily have a bigger impact, but small amounts can have a huge impact. And it will also, um, it will have synergistic toxicity with the other hormones that we're surrounded by. And so basically, and this is also what has created um, this, uh, this environment of basically evading regulation for so long is that it's, it doesn't follow the normal path of other chemicals out there. And so as a result, they're like, well, you know, we're going to say it's something else. Um, so uh, that being said, all of the, the, the plastic we have today has far more chemical signatures and things that disrupt our bodies in ways that we don't fully understand. And I just wanted to have a company that was going to make it easier for families to not have these um, kind of lifelong impacts. It can change uh, the, out the, the outcome of, um, of the, the way that diseases and disorders manifest in your body for your entire life. So for example, like I have um, three of the endocrine disruption disorders uh, or disorders associated with that. I have ADD, <laughs> I have um, hypothyroidism, and I also had hypoglycemic issues when I was younger, right? I basically, I've been able to manage those right now. Um, so, and I also, yeah, so, you know, and those probably manifested themselves when I was little, probably didn't have a lot to do with what I'm doing today. What I do know is that the things I'm doing today definitely help it, and make sure, and I can ensure that I'm not passing that on to my children, and that I'm going to be able to live longer without developing some of those other diseases and disorders that come as a result of having hypothyroidism, right? Um, so just yeah, 
in general. Sorry, I could go on forever in a monologue form. So apologies. No, I love it. I can do I can do the very same thing. And that's why it's hard for me to make succinct videos that are short form because I could just go on and on and on and on and on and just drip feed studies all over the face. Um, which I know you understand because you share a lot of that same passion. And I find it really interesting the connections you make. A big overarching theme of what we talk about on the podcast is this this idea of environmental changes that have happened predominantly over the last, I'll stretch it, like 200 years since Industrial Revolution and the advent of things like Big Pharma, post-Rockefeller, and all these sort of mishaps that I think are covered really well um, I'll drip feed you a podcast right now that is, um, it's Dr. Jack Cruz, Robert F. Kennedy, and Rick Rubin did an episode recently. And they sort of cover some of the history, but they kind of started at the 50s and moved to now. But there's so much history that has led to the problems we have now from an environmental point of view, plastic being one of these environmental toxins that I think are probably one of the most predominant in a person's life. I think there was that big um, article that came out maybe probably longer ago than I remember, but it was like, you might be eating a plastic, a, a credit card of plastic every week or something like that. And I was like, oh yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. But I remember my mom calling me and she was like freaking out about this thing while probably drinking out of a plastic water bottle. But people don't know how prevalent plastics, PFAs, forever chemicals are in materials that they may not even think they're in. I mean, yeah. there's some things discussions around like toilet paper. I mean, and even in areas where you think it might be safe, like I remember when I was guzzling down my luscious Topo Chico's, that actually has like some of the highest PFAs of any like glass carbonated water bottle. Well, but yes, but um, they also, so yes, but they've actually reduced the amount of PFAS and technically it's considered PFAS, even though that logically doesn't make sense. That is the way that it drives me crazy because I, it make, and it should be PFAs. But um, the European Union, like everyone now follows that standard of calling it PFAS, even though that logically doesn't make sense. That's good because I've been calling them PFAs forever. And then I keep hearing PFAS or PFAS and I'm like, okay, am I saying it wrong? I do do that. So I want to. No, no, no. (laughs) Well, and it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, And a lot of now people are talking about it more in videos, but unless you actually hear it, but yes. Um, And there was a lot of back and forth there for a while, but now it is like established it's PFAS. Um, not PFAs, even though that is the way that we pronounce acronym. A- that's the way we talk about acronyms. So it doesn't it doesn't make sense. But Topo Chico actually redu- reduced their level of PFAS. By the way. That's good. That's good. Because I'm a, I mean, I'm a fan of mitigation. And I think that's something that you found through your own practices and stuff like that. One thing I want to talk about before we get into um, other things that might be having these forever chemicals and the differences between some of them is also talking about like you made a really interesting point about how plastic hasn't been the same forever. And there's so much about current plastic that is sort of unknown as far as like a chemical basis, which is, it scares the crap out of me. Um, But how has plastic changed? And also maybe we can talk about some of the different types of plastics and some of the worst offenders, because I know there's like a a fast track list. Like um, if you Google searches, like the top seven or whatever is like, I think there's like PET and then like some other things, but I'd love for you to sort of geek out on that for us. Hey friend, thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get 
to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education? Oh my gosh, yes. So, okay. Um, there was a report that came out last year, oh, I'm sorry, earlier this year by the UN Environmental Program. And they, they basically compiled all this information that I have been talking about for a while into one place. So it's a 134 page document. I don't expect anyone to read it, but I totally geeked out on it because I'm like, yes, like all these studies that I'm usually like pulling from everywhere, like they're pulling the most relevant um, information into one place. And I've now been using those more in my videos, but essentially, um, and, and I can also send that to you. And if people want to get that, it's out there. Essentially, um, Plastic, yes, has um, changed and developed because a lot of chemical manufacturing companies, obviously, they've wanted to keep it in commerce and they've changed it for their own purposes, right? But most plastic now has thousands of different chemicals that are added to it. And they're added to it for a number of different reasons, right? You, If you want um, plastic to be flexible, right? You're going to add phthalates. That's a plasticizer plastic. If you want plastic to be hard, you're going to be, you're going to add bisphenols. Bisphenols make it hard and durable, right? Um, and there's lots of other uh, examples of all these different components that are added to plastic to provide the, you know, to suit the need for which it's being made. However, um, you know, most of these plastics are incomplete polymers and most of these things, uh, most of the polymers and chemicals within it can sometimes create other byproducts, none of which have actually been tested. And it has grown exponentially at such a fast rate. Our government, um, and not just ours, but all governments in the world, they're slow, they're bureaucratic, and they have not had a, um, a system in which you have to submit what a chemical is and tested for safety prior to it going to market. And so we now have this environment. It is now, um, the, the numbers are really staggering, right? So um, a few years ago, scientists actually decided that they were going to collectively try and catalog all of the chemicals in plastic because they realized that over 90% of the chemicals that are present in plastic were unknown, right? 90%. And by the way, top line, there is no type of plastic that is safe. Um, safe as in doesn't cause oxidative stress, inflammation, endocrine disruption, endocrine disruption, or is just straight up carcinogenic. There is not one type. Um, that all has to do with each particular chemical manufacturer when they make plastic, because each uses their own ingredients and recipe as it were. So it depends on the, the, the basically the people making it as to whether or not, um, it will leach and, and well, they all leach, but whether or not it's bad for you. But top line, they've now identified 3,000 chemicals that are present within plastic. Um, and of those, about 1,000 of those are thought to be toxic to our bodies, specifically in food contact materials. And those are the ones that are, are specifically allowed to touch our food. Um, there's 300 of of those thousand chemicals, there's 300 that are considered a CMR, which means carcinogenic, mutagenic, or reproductive toxicant. 300. And um, yeah, it's it's nuts. And um, there has been a recommendation that they phase those out immediately um, in the EU. Of course, here in the United States, it's like, whatever, like there's no regulation on it whatsoever. And yeah, so in regards to in, uh, some of the worst offenders within those chemicals are things like phthalates, PFAS, certainly, um, and bisphenols, right? So <clears throat> within that, um, 
PFAS are known as the toxic forever chemical. And what makes them really bad is that they build up and they bioaccumulate all throughout your body, but specifically they also bioaccumulate in your brain. That's one of the reasons that, um, that's one of the things that makes it really bad. Um, now the, they are in a lot of our products and considering, um, and there's also an entire class of them. There's about 10,000 different kinds of PFAS and um, the EU has actually proposed banning all of them. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, but since they proposed that ban earlier this year, we're really starting to realize that PFAS are in so many other things that we never knew before, right? It's kind of been um, every day I've woken up and there's, you know, oh, it's on guitar strings. Like, you know, like, oh, it's in your contact lenses. Oh, it's in children's clothes, you know? Um, And uh, it's this kind of the cat's already been let out of the bag or Pandora's box, as it were, right? Pandora's box has been opened and it's going to be really hard to pull it back in. Um, so, so that's probably one of the worst chemicals. And so I would say in regards to which plastics are the worst, um, although some show, some plastics show a lot more acute toxicity. Um, so I would say PVC, I'm, I'm sidetracking a little bit here. PVC is probably the worst plastic in regards to acute toxicity. PVC plastic is any plastic that is really, really flexible. So, um, a lot of the times it's your shower curtain, it's, uh, IV tubes, right? Which I find very funny. Um, when like Gwyneth Paltrow had her whole, like doing IV vitamins, I'm like, cool. You're just injecting your body with phthalates and PVC. That's a whole topic within itself. That's a whole thing. I just thought that was so ridiculous because she just has no idea. Right. She's like, it feels so good. I'm like, you're it's PVC to your brain, dude. Like that's just not smart. Um, and phthalates cause infertility. So PVC has very high amounts of phthalates. Now, um, infertility, you're like, wow, that, that sucks. Um, our fertility levels as, um, a species have declined by 50% in the past 50 years. So literally, um, sperm motility, sperm quality has declined 1% every single year for the past 50 years. Um, egg viability in women has also declined 1% every single year for the past 50 years. And, um, miscarriage, Miscarriage rate has increased 1% every year for the last 50 years. And um, there's been a few really prominent scientists that uh, were able to pinpoint it to phthalates because this is something a lot of scientists were trying to figure out. They're like, wow, our fertility rates are going down as a species across the world. So it's not like this is just an American problem. And, is, and, and certainly we are way worse here than other places. Um, but th- that, that specifically is an example um, of something that has impacted us worldwide along with the obesity epidemic, which phthalates also contribute to. Um, so they were, so phthalates are in PVC. Now, one of the biggest sources of PVC that most people don't realize is probably your drinking water because, um, within the last, um, you know, within the last few years, there's been a lot of money put into infrastructure, um, you know, uh, infrastructure improvements in our country as there should be. And they replaced a lot of lead pipes that was sickening, you know, people and communities with lead in their water. However, of course, the PVC, um, you know, the PVC lobby is strong. They were able to instill mostly PVC pipes, even though there's other really good alternatives that last longer, right? And, and are less toxic, but the plastic lobby is strong. Um, and they've paid people on both sides, both red and, and blue, you know, um, officials on this. But 80% of our drinking water pipes in the United States are going to be PVC by the year 2030. So 
that, yeah. So PVC is something that um, if you get a water filter, cool, you're done. Like you're good, right? Um, but phthalates and, and all PVC related things is probably the worst in regards to acute toxicity. Um, the second one, and I won't take as long to say it, um, <laughs> is um, the second type of plastic that you want to try and avoid um, is high density polyethylene plastic, which is a super thick, hard plastic. And the reason for that is um, a lot of it is lined in PFAS. So, and PFAS are the toxic forever chemical. And yes, they bioaccumulate in your brain. They don't leave for eight to 10 years, depending on your metabolism. And um, yeah, they can lead to lots of really terrible things. And the, a, a number of companies were actually lining the inside of high density polyethylene containers and lying to the EPA about it. And then the EPA cited them and they said, we stopped. And then they tested their products again and they hadn't stopped. The problem is that they haven't disclosed exactly um, which products they were they were spraying with this fluorinated gas. Um, the company was called Enhanced Technologies, but high density polyethylene. Um, the containers that they do um, that they did were, were it's that really thick type of plastic. If you think of like those big jugs of like protein powder, <laughs> like it's that. It's also probably what like your liquid laundry detergent comes in. Um, certainly a lot of like um, lotion and hand soap and shampoo bottles. Um, and, and for food, they have found uh, that it leaches into food. So this is going to be like your big jug of like ketchup, um, certainly protein powder. And then as you start looking in your cabinet, you're going to be like, oh, shoot, like a lot of, a lot of condiments probably come in that. Um, yeah. And so high density polyethylene is probably number two that you should try and avoid. <laughs> there's so many and people really don't i mean really on a high level it's just like if you question it you're probably right that there's probably like pfas or something in it that is of a microplastic variety that you probably should find something else yeah. Oh, um, and I want to make a clarification. Sorry, just really quick. Yeah, you're good, you're good. Um, you mentioned microplastics. That is um, a really so microplastics are a completely separate hazard yeah, yeah. to the chemicals that come out of plastic, and that that is also confusing. Um, but that distinction should be made. You you your body is impacted from the chemicals like PFAS, phthalates, right? But also the microplastics themselves, and it's literally because if you take anything make it really, really small and durable to the size that it can be um, absorbed into your cells and penetrate your cells, it's going to like scratch up the inside. And I'm using a really silly analogy here, but it goes into the cells throughout your body and your body is made of cells, right? And it has been found in lungs, in your heart, in your brain. And so anything that you're like scratching the inside of your brain or your heart cells is going to cause damage. Microplastics also carry um, toxins that they're around. So if a microplastic is in contact with lead, right, or arsenic or mercury or something, it will carry, or bacteria. And that's another thing that happens with uh, PVC water pipes is it can, um, bacteria will get into the plastic and abs microplastics absorb it. Um, and then that's how we have, you know, more outbreaks of Legionnaire's disease and, and things like that. So yeah, it's the microplastics and the chemicals themselves that makes plastic so bad. It's like a twofer, right? It's such a really good differentiation because actually when you're um, reading articles on this, you'll usually see like a microplastics and then a comma, and then it's like a phthalates, PFAs as a separate entity. So that is actually a good differentiation. I was going too high level because I, I already in my head knew that there was a difference, but that's a good clarification for the audience because I don't, 
I don't think people do make that distinction. Yeah. And it's, it's, I actually, I'm glad you brought in the water component because that is probably, and this was the case I was trying to make to my parents years ago about not drinking tap water. Um, and that's probably one, oh, you're totally good. It happens. Um, probably, probably one of the major reasons not to drink tap water. There's so many. And that's why I think investing in high quality filtration is important. I'd like to ask you, cause, and you have a really good video on your TikTok about this. So I'd point people there as well. Um, but what are some of the water filters we want to look for when we're trying to get the most bang for our buck? Um, but also make sure it's effective and not yeah. get like a Brita or something like that. Yeah. Um, so what's really, I mean, I go for, I think a really good rule of thumb is that if it effectively, if it effectively removes PFAS, it's going to remove a lot of the other contaminants in there as well. PFAS can be very small. Um, and, and typically it can be between just the particles. They can be, um, gosh, I'm like spacing out on the number, but it's like 0.05 microns or something. Um, it's a very small uh, I, I don't remember the exact number, but if you go for something that's going to effectively remove PFAS, then you it will um, take out a lot of that other bad stuff as well. Um, and microplastics, I mean, microplastics can get infinitesimally, infinitesimally small. They go into nanoplastics. Um, and so you're not going to necessarily be able to get out 100% of those, um, but you're going to get pretty close, right? And by the way, what's crazy is that um, municipal water supplies throughout the country um, in the United States, a lot of them will actually take out microplastics pretty effectively, which I was surprised by, um, but they don't remove PFAS. So a good rule of thumb is like, go for something that says um, or shows effectiveness. Now, what's great is that there is a lot of information. There's a lot, a lot of talk about this now. And so there's a lot of companies that have taken the initiative and will actually um, test uh, water filters for this now. Um, which is great. So, uh, you know, the environmental working group did a big study um, just this past year and, and they showed which ones were effective and which weren't. Momovation does a lot of consumer product testing. So I love her stuff. Um, but there are ones that are really cheap and ones that are super expensive. You don't necessarily need a really expensive one, which is great. So for example, it, you mentioned Brita. If you do have a Brita like system, you don't have to replace the whole thing. They, the, there was actually funding um, by the National Institute of Health. They gave a grant to this one company that came up with um, a filter that removes PFAS and it will, it's compatible with Brita. It's 45 bucks. So you don't have to get like a whole new system. Um, and it's some whole house systems, the really expensive ones, those have actually shown um, to bioaccumulate PFAS um, and put more PFAS in your water supply. So you, before those are fully tested, like you probably don't want to get a whole house system yet. Um, yeah. So in general, you can, there's lots of really good options. One of the best ones you can get is an under sink reverse osmosis. Um, this is across the board shown to be really, really effective. And you can get a really highly rated one, for example, by Aquasana for like 250 bucks. I'm sure Black Friday, they're going to have lots of, you know, deals, but this will probably, you know, so during the holidays, you're, there's going to be lots of discounts on this because they're trying to drive sales with that. Um, getting a water filter is very important because when you're at home, you start realizing like, oh, wow, I'm like boiling, you know, pasta or I'm like cooking. That's the biggest ones for me is not the drinking. It's what you do with it all the other times. I think about like being in the shower. I think about taking a tub. I think about boiling stuff. 
it, it, you don't really realize how much tap water you're using in like your skin, but you do absorb things through your skin. So. For sure. Um, yeah, it's pretty intense. Oh, sorry. I'm just gonna, um, yeah. So water is a big thing. Um, and that's really the problem when it comes to PFAS. I'm going to just diverge a little bit over the past, over the past year, there've been all these headlines like, Oh my God, there's PFAS in orange juice or, you know, there's PFAS in kale and, 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 um, we're going to be seeing more of those. Um, unfortunately, because, Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I said this before. PFAS, they bioaccumulate, but they can't yeah, yeah. easily be destroyed, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're known as that toxic forever chemical. That's like all the headlines where you, where, you know, or, where they're talked about. Um, and it's because they don't naturally degrade. So in the environment, if we do nothing, they will exist for thousands of years. And essentially every drop of PFAS that has ever been created still exists. Now, scientists have been able to come up with some ways to break down some of the polymer bonds and some of the PFAS, but since there's 10,000 different kinds, um, they don't know how to break down all of them and certainly not with one technology. Um, The few technologies that they do have are incredibly expensive um, and will cost trillions of dollars annually. So like you may have seen some some headlines about really big settlements by DuPont and 3M who are some of the biggest manufacturers of PFAS. That's a drop in the bucket to what is actually needed for society um, and, and yeah, in getting rid of these. So, I mean, PFAS are the levels now that have been measured in our rainwater exceed what the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, says are actually safe to drink. So literally, you're better off drinking um, your filtered water at home than drinking rainwater. But if you think about the implications of that um, and that rain moves, Right, like, like it's in clouds. I'm thinking about oceans. I'm thinking about, about, thinking about, about wildlife. Oh, they yeah, found yeah. PFAS in polar bears. Yeah, Literally, yeah. they found like I think it was five different f- strains. And again, we can't even test for all the PFAS. This is another really fucked up thing. We can't even test for all the different polymer bonds um, within that class. Um, they found PFAS in polar bears. Um, otters actually had the highest amount of PFAS because they're aquatic mammals. Right, they're in the water, and our water is so contaminated with it. Getting a water filter is big, but so what I what I talk about in my videos is that with the implications of PFAS, the levels of PFAS being in our rainwater being so high, when you think about that, it's it, there are many things you can do to reduce your exposure, which is important because they bioaccumulate in your brain, but it you're never going to get to zero. And so one really important thing is making your body a fortress so that you don't. Um, yeah, you, you don't bioaccumulate it in the same way. And um, what's really crazy is that so many of the things that lessen our exposure to PFAS um, and protect ourselves from even absorbing it are just the natural ways of being a human being that are, yeah, we already so know are healthy. And it's like late stage capitalism has taught us that we need to live in a disposable society by ourselves in these big houses with new things every few months, right? Because yeah, that, yeah. that benefits them. But literally all of those behaviors are what actually increase the bioaccumulation of these toxic chemicals in our body. It's, it's, so there's one interesting um, body of research that I've collected, which shows that people of higher income, rich people, have more PFAS in their body than poor people. Now, this is confounding because pretty much every other toxic contaminant out there, um, poor people are disproportionately exposed, right? 
Um, a lot of that just has to do with, um, you know, living near manufacturing facilities, being more occupationally exposed, right? Like working in plastic manufacturing, living in the South, right? Where all the chemical and plastic, um, you know, corporations are, are located, drinking the water, not having um, proper infrastructure in those communities. So BIPOC communities are disproportionately exposed to a lot of environmental contaminants. However, they study after study after after study has shown globally, not just in the United States, that people of higher income have far more PFAS in their body than people of lower income. This is not so good news, but great news, actually, um, because it shows that you can control how much you're exposed to and that by making choices every single day, we can reduce the amount that we, you know, are that build up in our body. Right. Um, and when there are a number of big reviews where they go into some of the things that scientists, you know, um, theorize are the result of this. And it's just all of those things that they think lower or lessen our exposure to PFAS are just like the really healthy, like Huberman lab kind of things. So, you know, rich people buy new shit all the time, right? They're constantly buying new things or upgrading and new things that have PFAS. PFAS will um, come off also in microplastic dust. Um, and it comes off initially right in the beginning. You're going to get a lot more that leach off of a product when it's new as opposed to when you've had it for a number of years. So literally just buying new things all the time is bad for you, right? Um, living in big houses with less people, right? Um, when you live... When you live with a lot of other people, um, dust is one of our biggest exposures to all these toxic chemicals from plastic. It literally just leaches off of our things. And you can see it in the air. Oh, yeah, oh, There's yeah. like a ray of light. Like you can see I'll it. I'll be in the bathroom and the light will come through the window and I'll just see like this line of dust. And I'm like, this is disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's microplastics that you can see, right? So dust doesn't accumulate in that same, it doesn't accumulate on surfaces when you live with a lot of people right? And it doesn't have to be tons of people, but uh, just um, you're not living in a big empty house by yourself. When you live in a big empty house by yourself, um, dust accumulates. So therefore, when you do touch a surface and then you like touch your face or you eat food, you're ingesting that. You breathe that in more. So when dust isn't accumulating and you're not surrounded by tons of new things all the time, um, you just have a lot less in your environment. Um, cooking and eating unprocessed foods. And, and so like just eating food at home, as opposed to always having things like prepared and catered for you, basically. And um, people of higher income do not necessarily eat healthier. But one constant is that they have other people cook for them, right? I think on, t on TikTok, there's a lot of this like rich homesteader aesthetic. That is not the reality. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> no, and I was thinking too, I was thinking about all the meal services that people use. Um, that are like delivered like weekly in these big boxes and then they're all in plastic containers that you heat up. I think about all TV dinners that have that layer of plastic film that you leave while you put it in the oven. Let's talk just briefly about how heating can affect um, these chemicals and plastics as well. Yeah. So, you know, heat is um, one way to, uh, within chemistry that can, you know, um, basically change uh, a polymer structure, right? These bonds of different molecules together, right? So there is, um, there's a lot of things that will increase the amount of leaching um, of these chemicals that come out of plastic. And by the way, um, leaching occurs even when heat is not present. Leaching just occurs naturally. Um, 
not, but there's certain things that increase the amount of leaching. And a good example of this is like with a bottle of water, they have done studies with water where it is not exposed to any heat, any sunlight, nothing. And it leaches microplastics in it just merely from like rubbing up against it. Right. Um, so that's going to exist naturally, but there's lots of things that increase the amount of leaching. And so I do talk about this in my videos because plastic is in some ways, impossible to avoid, especially when it comes to our food. But there are things that you can change. There are really easy things you can do to just lessen the amount that you end up eating, right? So heat is one component. Um, not heating things in plastic, or if like if you do get takeout and it is heated, just remove it from that container as soon as you can. Like that is a really easy thing that everybody can especially do. Especially styrofoam. <laughs> styrofoam is the worst. And if, so sty- I, funny story about styrofoam. Styrofoam was one of the original plastics that people knew was really, really bad. And in the late 80s, early 90s, they actually tried a a number of different municipalities, tried to ban it. Um, Some towns in California, some towns in the Midwest. So these were places that now are pretty red and, you know, Republican, as it were. Those places were trying to ban styrofoam. So all, you know, and remember, plastic is made with oil, petroleum, right? So the chemical companies and the oil guys all got together and they're like, shoot, our, our styrofoam is about to be banned. What are we going to do? They hire a marketing guy and they come up with the idea of recycling. And they're like, it was one guy. Um, it's this amazing frontline documentary, um, PBS, which was uh, came out a few years ago. It's called Plastic Wars. And he talks about it. He's like, yeah. It was just me. And they said I had to make recycling work and sell it as a marketing so that these companies would be able to keep their products legal and avoid the bans on plastic that were in the works. So they did such a good job of selling the idea of recycling and that that was a sustainable way to deal with plastic pollution, right, which was building up, um, that those municipalities stopped, um, they, they stopped trying to ban it. And, um, but recycling was always a pipe dream that was never invented to work. And, um, yeah, recycling is really bad. <laughs> that's another thing. It's, I it's so on. funny. Whenever I see any label that's like, this comes from recycled X, Y, Z, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, people don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a big deal. Yes. So anyway, so that's styrofoam. And I'll go back to finish um, just on, um, there's other things that increase the amount of leaching that come out. So there's heat. Um, there's also acidity, how acidic something is, right? Also the fat content, which is, so this is interesting. A lot of these chemicals are lipophilic, meaning something that has a higher fat content, those um, chemicals are attracted to it. So, you know, if you have something that is not very acidic and doesn't have a high fat content, and I get this question a lot, like, what about my broccoli? It comes in a plastic bag. I'm like, mm. eh, you're probably going to be fine. But cheese, like cheese that's wrapped in PVC plastic, like, you know, that's, that will definitely attract, um, a lot more chemicals to it. Um, another one is salinity. If something is, has a high salt content, um, you know, funny, uh, I just was doing a study this past week because we're going into Thanksgiving and people use those fucking Turkey roasting bags. Like, dude, I hate them. Why would anyone do that? It's, it's just extreme laziness. It it makes no sense. Right. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, but a lot of those bags are made out of nylon and nylon specifically has a lot of affinity to things that are, um, of a high salt content. Um, so yeah. And then also in general time, the longer something is in that plastic, the more it's going to leach. So Um, kids throw out that water bottle that's been sitting in your Honda civic for six months. It's getting worse. (laughs) 
I know it's really bad. Um, so yeah. And again, um, only in the United States, we don't have an expiration date on our bottled water. So you don't know how fucking long it's been in that water bottle. Right. Um, and you don't know how many times it's been, been exposed to, um, heat. Oh, and also sunlight UV exposure. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's another one. Um, I certainly have walked into stores where I literally see pellets of bottled water also wrapped in plastic, like came off a loading truck, just sitting in the sun in front of the store. Right. And yeah. there's, like, there's no way of knowing. Um, yeah. So. And that's like the big difference between like, there's consumerism and then there's like your health over here and they don't necessarily overlap. And most of the time they don't at all. And that's just, I mean, I don't, I don't really want to shake capitalism or anything, but that's just the nature of the beast, especially here in the U S. Totally. And I, again, I, I rag on the FDA and the EPA and chemical companies and uh, chemical companies I know are doing some of this intentionally, but I don't think a lot of these things have happened intentionally. I think a lot of this is just, you know, um, poor oversight and it's just kind of happenstance, right? There's lots of other things that, um, you know, have been treated in the same way that don't end up being toxic, right? Um, so probably in the aggregate, um, you know, this way of, it's just lots of happy accidents, shall I say. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how a lot of things are. We, the silly talking monkey monkeys, I think make a lot of, uh, great achievement without the oversight of future issues, uh, in the sake of progress. And so I think it's sort of a good reflection to have, to be a little bit more, uh, mindful of those things. I sort of want to ask one question. I may be reading into it way too much, but I, I, I read a lot about things like fluoride and stuff. And I couldn't help but notice like when you break down the word the, of, of PFAS, there's like a fluorine component in it. So is there a fluoride or fluorine component to PFAS? Uh, well, so because there's fluorine. Yeah. So PFAS are, um, fluorine, right. And so, um, there's different types. So yes. So, um, fluorine that, that one chemical component is one of the main components of PFAS per and polyfluoral alkyl substances. Okay. And, um, it's funny you bring this up because right now, um, chemical companies are trying to debate the definition of PFAS in order to keep it legal. Right. Um, mm. we have a lot of PFAS, in uh, that are in our pharmaceuticals, but the, those pharmaceuticals are made with one subclass. And, and by the way, there's a whole tree. If you look at like, there's, there's an entire tree of, of, of PFAS, right? In the 10,000 different kinds. One subclass of PFAS is called organo, organofluorine. Some of those are naturally mm -hmm. occurring, but when they're um, made in a lab, um, they basically have a lot of the same properties of the really bad ones that have already been banned right? Of, of PFAS and organofluorines, um, within organofluorines, some of those have already been banned as well. For example, CFCs, which depleted our ozone layer, yep. um, those have already been banned, but that's within that same class of organofluorines, which the, literally the top pharmaceuticals in the world are made out of. Um, for example, Prozac and Lipitor. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of what I was going to bring up because I, I, there's so much overlap. And I know like with things like fluoride, which is like an ionic form of fluorine, um, there's a lot of those in things you wouldn't expect, like fluorine and pharma pharmaceuticals. And and I was interesting because you, we were talking very early on in the podcast about hypothyroid. And I actually had hypothyroid as one of my earlier issues that sort of led to me going down some of these rabbit holes. And then top of mind, when I think of thyroid issues, I think of fluoride 
and its issues um, with iodine and things like that. But there's so many of these overlaps that I think you really ought to take into consideration. And that's why I think this conversation is important because, and it's sort of an overhead theme of the show is that this is one piece of this huge puzzle of why you may be having issues. But this is one of those things where it's so predominant, it's definitely part of the equation. And I like that you brought up um, lifestyle modifications as being a huge way to sort of combat some of these things. Because at the end of the day, it's like when you think about mitochondrial function, which fundamentally is what's breaking down here, um, it's, it's human practices that we've been doing for thousands of years that creates health. And it's sort of really within the last couple hundred years that we've really taken those things away and made them not common. Yeah. Um, and, and really, we need to think about the things as we do is abnormal while it's common, but it's not a normal human experience. Totally. Yeah. And in, in, when you're looking at the timeline of, you know, human civilization, um, we were not, we didn't have microplastics even 100 years ago. Right. And so this is all a big, grand experiment that no one planned out. Right. But we're just all kind of living in it. Um, and so and what's really crazy, I'll, I'll hear people on TikTok that will be like, well, you know, um, you know, eating out of plastic doesn't cause cancer. And I'm like, maybe like that's arguable. But the problem is that it's not in a vacuum. And there we are surrounded by so many of things, so many of these things all at the same time. And the fact that every single disease and disorder that is associated with plastics and endocrine disruptors has increased um, exponentially over the past few decades. Now that is inarguable, right? And people try and argue point by point, but I'm like, cool. So almost half of the adult population in the United States is considered obese, right? Um, childhood obesity has increased um, every single generation, like, uh, I'm sorry, has doubled every single decade since the 1970s, right? 5% of children used to be obese in late 60s, early 70s. And today it's over 20%, right? Um, uh, hypothyroidism, cancer, brain cancer, funny enough, yeah. um, right? Thyroid disease and, and all of the things that come out of it. And so people try and argue like, well, you know, it's because people are sitting around playing video games all day long. And, um, you know, it's because they just eat a lot of junk food. And I'm like, yeah, but let's go down that path. Okay. Um, so what, is in that junk food. Certainly you're not getting nutrients. And what, what, what do you get in processed foods? A lot of fucking plastic, right? Yeah. So when you go from like, you know, the corn, right. To get to the chip, there's like 30 steps in there. And every single one of those steps is lined and covered in plastic. Right. And the amount of microplastics that are in a lot of processed foods, it's really, really crazy. Right. And, and cheese and canned food. And um, oh, my gosh, I'm trying to think of like the really well, certainly fish and any sort of like fish product because it's been in the water that right. Yep. That is just inundated with all these microplastics. So you can't really extrapolate one from the other. Right. And the obesity epidemic specifically um, a lot of scientists have now, you know, they're trying to figure out the cause and they say there's a gap between the amount of calories that we eat today, just as, you know, a society and the, the caloric expenditure that does not explain the obesity epidemic. And the fact that animals and wildlife living around human beings are also experiencing this obesity epidemic, um, it does not explain, um, just caloric intake and output alone. Um, and again, when your hormones are disrupted, 
your body, um, you know, metabolizes calories and fat differently. And so therefore you're more likely to gain weight and um, be obese and then change your genetics so that you pass that on to your children. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code TRISTAN, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10, for 10% off your first order. Exactly. That's actually a really big point is that for instance, there was a, the Blue Zones documentary came out on Netflix this last like week. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there about community and various things, but me and Tristan did live sort of debunking some of the things because when you look at that generation that is now 100 years old, their life in their first decade, second decade, third decade, all the way up to like their fifth decade were very different than the decades I've experienced in my 27 years of being on the planet. And far different than the kids that are being born in the last five years, 10 years. It's a completely different world. And so you can't even compare the two. And I actually like that you brought up since the 50s, 60s, 70s, which isn't that long ago, the max 60 years, we haven't even had an even higher exponential change in our environment. And so the issue I have with like a conventional scientific point of view, looking at dispelling some of this stuff or people that may look at your videos and be like, oh, there's this and this and this, that, blah, 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 is that we, we look at each individual thing so myopically that that's not the problem. The problem is all these things happening at the same time. And the way the science is is made now doesn't support a model like that. They, don't, they look at usually one control at a time. And they want, and just, they want it to be that way, right? Yeah. And, and they do this thing where they want one chemical at a time as opposed to looking at a class base right? So this is why we have, you know, bisphenol A has been outlawed, right? Yep. In children's baby bottles and sippy cups, and it causes, um, you know, obesity, diabetes, uh, cancer, right? Bisphenol A has been um, outlawed, but bisphenol F and S have not. And so literally, you know, they're just, the companies are just switching one chemical out for another because it behooves, it, it benefits them um, to have it at one chemical at a time. And that's the system that we've had. Now that's starting to change, but it's obviously not changing fast enough. And in regards to longevity, oh my God, like there was this crazy study that came out about 10 years ago. And then NPR um, just last year did a revisit of all of the statistics and it had to do with longevity um, and, and specifically American longevity and health as compared to other countries. Um, and American longevity, everyone dipped during COVID, right? Obviously. And yep. by the way, um, people that had higher amounts of PFAS in their body were more likely to die from COVID and also experience um, long COVID if they did not die. So there's that, you know, because we would all see those those stories of people that looked young and healthy, the fitness guru, whatever, and they're dying from COVID. And you're like, what the fuck? This guy, right? It's the, the communities that had higher amounts of PFAS um, just in their water supply. Those communities were had more death from, from COVID. Anyways, I digress. Everybody had a dip um, during COVID, but 
post-COVID, most European countries have actually rebounded and their longevity has continued to increase. In the United States, it has not. The United States, our longevity continues to decline and it's really depressing how low it is. And when you actually look into the numbers, it gets even more depressing. It is not old people dying. It is people of older generations thriving and living longer And it is people of younger generations, my generation, right, Gen Z, um, that aren't making it. And it is not, a lot of it is due to, well, guns and cars, but a lot of it is also due to health, right? And it is getting these diseases and disorders like me that you would normally get in your 50s um, and getting it in your, you know, mid-20s or even as a teenager, right? It's getting heart disease, diabetes, and all of those things um, when you're young, which ultimately lead for, you know, lead you to have a shorter lifespan because of all the, you know, things that it disrupts in your body. Um, yeah. So just from a longevity standpoint, you're totally right in that these blue, you know, um, these blue places um, that have this long longevity, you're not seeing that. You're not seeing those characteristics in younger generations, unfortunately, because they did live in a different time where they weren't as, didn't have as many of these environmental toxicants. And there's so many at the same time. And that's really the problem with a lot of this too, is we're not in a vacuum, in a lab. Yeah. People need to stop looking at individual condition as looking for a single, uh, as a separate thing, because rates of chronic disease in children are like, I can't remember the exact amount of X's since the 1960s, but it's some insane number. It's like one in six kids or one in something have like a chronic condition like asthma or or even like childhood diabetes or obesity now. Oh, and that's not even going. Conditions. Yeah. Oh, well, and I was going to say everyone is trying to blame like everyone's talking about um, autism, ADD. um, And and, um, also in general, there's a massive loss of IQ points um, that there's been an estimated 11 million IQ points lost as a result to endocrine disruptors. That was a recent, yep, yep. that was a recent study. Um, but, you know, everyone's trying to blame different things on this, but it is, uh, what I will say is that all of these endocrine disruptors disrupt brain function, which I spoke about before. And so when you're exposed to maybe not one, but like a hundred of those, when, you know, you're in your, you know, before you're born and then um, while your brain is still developing, which is the first five years of life, and you don't even have a fully formed blood brain barrier to combat the microplastics that you're, you know, breathing in and drinking in through a plastic baby bottle, that has lifelong impacts. And we're seeing a lot of this stuff um, that, I mean, the astronomical, I think it's like a 40% increase in autism in the last 10 years. Yeah, something insane. Yeah, and people like to say, oh, it's because they're they're measuring it differently. But scientists have also That's said- it, Dude, I was talking to my girlfriend about this this morning because low-key, and this is the first time I've ever said on the show, I was actually diagnosed with like a super high functioning, like some like aut- autism thing. I don't really associate a lot with it. Um, but I was talking to her about this and I was like, it's not- this basically breaks the rules of Darwinism's uh, like uh, evolutionary like chain of how things develop because we're seeing these rates at, if this was an underdiagnosed problem, all these things, you would have seen weird documentation of it over the last couple hundred years in the notes of medical things or whatever, just because people wouldn't just not write this down. So the fact that it's only within like the last 50, 60 years is insane. Yeah. And again, the sensitivities to how we diagnose these things. Yeah, those have increased as well, but it is not 
um, it's still just like the obesity thing. It does not account for the entire increase. And yeah, I mean, it's just, um, all of these things are not done in a vacuum. And to say that none of them have, like none of these things have an impact on that are are crazy. When you look at it in the aggregate, when you literally look on like on a sheet and go line by line, okay, cool. Infertility, obesity, um, autism, like heart disease, which is the number one killer in the United States, um, brain cancer, things like that. You're like, okay, this is pretty crazy. Um, And wait, wait, I was going, (laughs) I was going somewhere with that. And I totally, I totally spaced on it. Um, maybe it's the microplastics. Oh, um, another thing that's really, um, really crazy is, which I think you'd enjoy. It's there's a whole body of research that I haven't done a lot of videos on that I want to, which is the brain um, and and um, gut connection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of really cool things scientists are discovering about that. But one thing with microplastics and all these chemicals is they disrupt our gut microbiota, right? So um, the bacteria in our body in our gut will either combat, like kill off really bad bacteria, or will um, basically let it be absorbed into our body. And when our gut microbiota, the microbiome of bacteria and those cultures, when that gets disrupted, our body is much more susceptible to all of these different diseases and disorders. And they, they have now found a great connection between our gut microbiome and our cognitive abilities. Yep. And they have now, they've also found a huge connection between people that have ASD or autism or AD, ADD, right? Mm-hmm. And um, literally the components of their gut microbiome. And what's cool about this is they've now found such a strong connection between the components of gut microbiome and autism um, that they're now starting to treat autism and ASD with literally probiotics, which are things that it's bacteria going into your body, which will repair your gut microbiome. Um, And they've found it to be so effective that um, they're looking at it as both conjunctive, but also possibly a standalone treatment, which is pretty exciting. So, and when you think about how that microplastics mess up our gut microbiome, um, and that, of course, it's there are easy ways to remediate that. It does make it uh, that much more... um, impactful about how we need to make our bodies a fortress. Um, and also that there's an answer to these things that is not just buying another pharmaceutical, right? Yep. Just like, again, this human beings have had fermented foods that fix our gut microbiome for hundreds of years, right? Yeah, and we don't eat a lot of those today because of just our normal westernized um, society. And I'm sure if you look at like the blue like if you go back to the studies know. and you specifically look for fermented foods, they probably have sure some main staple fermented food, like pickles or like um, kimchi or, you know, miso, things like Sauerkraut. that. Totally. So in the last couple of minutes of our, of our show, I'd love to talk about some of the principles that you've instilled in your own life to sort of combat the you sort of like, as you said, build that fortress for your health. So we kind of mentioned some of those daily practices before. Uh, you might have lost my sound, but I'm still recording. So I know that it's still working. Oh, wait. Okay. Now you're back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I heard the sound stop and I was like, oh, probably not happening. But no, I was going to ask you, what are some of the ways that you've been building this fortress for yourself? We sort of mentioned about food quality, some like generic things I'm sure we've talked about on the podcast before, but I'd love to hear like some of the things that you're doing right now and have been doing over the last several years. Yeah. So, I mean, I try and avoid plastic as much as I can and more and more it's easier um, than it ever used to be. Wait, can you hear me? Wait, oh, now it's like freezing. Mm. I hear you still. 
So, um, yeah, so avoiding plastic as much as you can. And when you start swapping plastic out, what you realize is that when you get something that is not plastic, that usually means that it's reusable, right? Something glass or wood or stainless steel, right? And then you end up actually saving money, which is pretty crazy. Um, you know, first you're going to go through a death spiral of everything is covered in plastic, but then you replace it with something that's not plastic and you're like, oh shit, this lasts, this lasts a long time. Um, and I end up saving money. I was doing this the other day with paper towels. Like we've just been using more hand towels. We still have paper towels. We use less of them because of course there's a lot of plastic and a lot of paper towels. Um, but just by eliminating that, like, or just using less of that, we've like saved a lot of money. It's really crazy. So, um, and then I, so yeah, reducing plastic as much as you can, buying things that are reusable in glass, um, or just like getting, I don't know, going to the store and instead of getting it in a plastic bag, right. Pre-cut or whatever, like bringing it in a cloth bag and getting your own thing. Um, and I, again, I don't have chickens or a farm or I'm not, you know, like super crunchy granola. This is some really basic stuff that anybody can do. Right. Um, so number one, there's that. Another one is, is literally thinking about like, what did humans do like a hundred years ago before we had this disposable, like late stage capitalism society? Um, I, I did a video, um, that no one really saw, but it was about this idea of Lindy, right? Um, which has kind of turned into, it was turned into like a tech thing um, in regards to marketing. But it's this idea that like, basically humans have lived and enjoyed certain things for hundreds of years. And those things are probably good for us. And so it's really simple things like, you know, not eating takeout for every single meal because it's in, you know, a hundred years ago, people had to cook their own food. Um, you know, they didn't eat meat all the time because you have only had a certain amount of livestock, right? You couldn't eat steak every night for dinner or a Big Mac for lunch. Um, you had a specific uh, quantity, um, you know, being outside more, um, and not having new things all the time and going for organic, um, natural materials, um, recycled things didn't exist a hundred years ago, unless it was you literally upcycling, you would say, or reusing something to make something else. Um, and so trying to just, you know, looking at it for like, how processed is this? Did this exist a hundred years ago? Probably something I'm going to look to see if there's an alternative to, right. Um, and a lot of people are like, shoot, I got to throw everything out and buy everything new. And I'm like, well, that, that necess isn't necessarily feasible. And theoretically, the thing that you have now that's older, that's plastic is probably safer for you <laughs> than buying something new that's plastic. Um, so it's all of those sorts of things and looking to see, you know, and thinking about did human beings have this a hundred years ago? How processed is this? And um, is this disposable? Those are some, some kind of rules of thumb to go by and avoiding a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, the price of progress isn't always what you want it to be. So I, I think there's a lot of good discussion here. We'll have to have you back on sometime in the future to discuss some of the other things you've been researching. Like, I mean, aspartame's a thing, um, astroturf's a thing. Um, there's so many topics. Um, but I love the work that you do, and I think you do it in such a great way. So where can people find you and uh, follow you and all that good stuff? Yeah, I'm on TikTok under Tabor Place. That's where I spend the most amount of time, and that's T-A-B-O-R Place, P-L-A-C-E. That's the name of my company. And I'm also on Instagram, although I just kind of recycle some you know, my TikTok posts there. I can't spend all that time. Yeah, um, and then I, I sell uh, my kids' products on Amazon. 
um, an evil conglomerate that I must work with. Um, <laughs> and also on my own website as well. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Well, I really appreciate it. I'll have all those links down in the show notes below. Um, and we'll have to do this again. Thanks for coming on. Cool. And we'll see you all in another episode of Decentralized Radio. Bye.